I dedicate the Breast Talk Ever podcast to my beloved mother and sister, Gloria A. Davis and Yolanda Holmes. Support for the Breast Talk Ever podcast comes from Mentor Implants. In the process of like looking for survivors who may have had some solutions, I discovered survivors who actually had started businesses as a result of their diagnosis. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And one of the first women that I um, discovered was this, this survivor sister of mine who um, was doing this air guitar. Then I discovered a woman named Dana Donafrey who had just, you know, had created a, a bra company for women who had had mastectomies and had gone flat. And as I started doing it, I'm like, wait a minute. Are there enough of them to do a podcast? I'm Latanya Davis. You're listening to the very first episode of The Breast Talk Ever. The show is just what the doctor ordered. Stories about enterprising, hope-dealing, breast cancer metavivors, survivors, and previvors with extra-strength doses of inspiration and culture for everyone navigating the business called life. It's dope. Today on the show, you will hear part one of my story. Okay, and here we are. I've got butterflies. Mic check one, 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 two. Hello, everyone. This is LaTanya Davis. And today we are going to have the breast talk ever. Actually, the very first breast talk ever. My episode of the breast talk ever. I have been working on this project for over a year and I've traveled and zigzagged across the country interviewing the most amazing pre-vivers, survivors, thrivers, sisters and brothers of mine that have not only survived breast cancer, but have created amazing products, services. And as I did this for the past year and a half, I knew at some point that I would eventually have to sit in the chair. And I'm sitting in the chair today as a guest of my podcast, The Breast Talk Ever. And it is such an honor to be interviewed by a friend who's more than a friend. She's like a big sister. My family, one of my best friends. We've been friends for over 20 years. And she also happens to be one of the best in the journalism game. She writes for the New York Times, and her name is Audra D.S. Birch. Hey, Audrey. Hello. What up, what up? (laughs) I'm so pleased to be here, and I'm so glad that we're going to have this conversation today. I know you, and I like you, and I love you, and I want others to know the LaTanya I know. So I grew up, I'm actually, I was born in Newark, New Jersey. I left New Jersey when I was a little toddler. My mother, my sister, and I, we moved to Orlando. My mother was from Orlando, and I grew up in Orlando. 
I lived in Orlando, which is home. You know, I've lived in Miami for over 20 years, which is my second home. And it's it's like home. I've actually lived here now longer than I've lived in Orlando. It makes you a Florida girl. Of course. And if you know what a Florida girl is, you know what comes with being a Florida girl. <laughs> the dancing. Yep. And, and you're your a Georgia love, girl. I am a Georgia girl, but also your love of uh, warm weather. Yes. Love warm weather, loving the weather that we're having now. So you're in Florida. Mm-hmm. And you went to high school in Florida. Jones High, a.k.a. J High. Which is still the love of your life. Yes, it is. How do you know? Of course you know this. Of course I know. <laughs> I bleed orange and green. <laughs> Except for collegiately. Okay. <laughs> so you um, you also ran track, correct? Yes. And you ran I'm a track tra- girl and both high school <laughs> in both high school and college, correct? Yes. Yes. And you went to South Carolina State. Yes, graduate of South Carolina State. Okay. Bulldog. And I, I went to FAMU. I'm a rattler. Of course. <laughs> I had the option to go there as well, but. So I let, chose South Carolina State. So let's let's talk about your college years. One of the things that I know was important is that you actually pledged during your college years. You are a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. <laughs> what's so important about that, um, and I say this in all seriousness, is I know that those those women that you pledged with became your your lifetime friends, right? Yes. I pledged Alpha Xi, chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, the best sorority in the world. Okay, we're not going to have that discussion. So, um, okay, audience. for all our viewers, I am a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Incorporated. But I want to talk to Latanya just a little bit more about you before we sort of move on to the more serious business. I want to know what makes you tick? What keeps you up at 2 a.m. in the morning? And what brings you unbridled joy? Tell us a little bit about how you see yourself. Well, in all seriousness, you know, you're AKA, I'm a Delta. We're Greek sisters and I have mad love for Greeks. And to go back to answer your first question about my relationship with my sorority, who knew that in 1988 that the sorority that I pledged, many of my LSs, my line sisters, many of the Saras that I actually pledged would actually be my biggest supporters in my darkest hour. Those sorrows of mine, when I say had my back, just like you did, I had AKA Greek sisters of mine that had my back and you were one of those. I can't say enough about sisterhood and what it means to me. Because it's, I'm a Cancerian. If you know Cancerians, we have big hearts. We give our all. I love hard, very loyal, sometimes to a fault. I will go to bat for you. If I'm on your team, we are going to win. And I love 
shining. I like to make others happy. And I will run marathons. And I was a sprinter, by the way, so I hate distance running. But I will run marathons to make someone else's day. What keeps you up at night? My conversations with God, when I'm saying to him, God, I have to be here to raise my nephew. I know how, how terribly important family is to you. And so maybe you could share with us just a little bit about your mom and your sister, Yolanda. Okay. Oh, my mother. Oh, my God. She was this amazing, feisty woman, single mother. And she devoted her life to her two girls. Her girls, Londa and Tanya. We were like triplets. She made sure that we had the best of everything. And, you know, now as a 51-year-old woman, I often wonder, how did she do it? Because I, I don't know how she did it. She kept us fresh to death. We were involved in amazing organizations. And she did it as a single woman. And of course, you know, my grandmother also played a role in my upbringing. So my mother lives within me every day because that's all I knew was her strength and her independence. My sister, oh my gosh, my sister was my, you hear it used so much, but she truly was my first best friend. And I was her first student <laughs> because she was a teacher. She was an educator. She was an amazing human you know, from the time that we were little girls, we would be playing with our dolls. She was always teaching the teddy bears and the Barbies and me. And I was always her protector. I was a big sister that, you know, you've messed with my sister, you got to come through me. How many years were you guys apart? Three. I was the oldest. And my sister, like me, was very strong. Her strength was a more quiet strength. I was the athlete. She was the cheerleader, majorette. And she used to love to pick at me because when I got to high school, growing up, we, you know, we were optimist cheerleaders for the mighty Lake Man Tigers, which I still love dearly. And when we got to high school, when I actually tried out to be a cheerleader in high school, and I didn't make it. And if she were here, she would she would tell the story about how I came home and I just laid down. I didn't want to be bothered. I was because I didn't make it. But my sister was, oh my gosh, she was a comedian. Her personality was uh, we both had so much of our mother's personality, like silly, which you know the silliness. Um, they both were amazing women and I miss them both dearly. My mother was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer while my sister and I were in graduate school. My mother was in remission for a couple of years before the cancer came back. 
She eventually succumbed to the disease in 1993. My sister Londa and I carried on our mother's legacy and went on to have successful careers. We both got married. I got divorced. However, my sister and her husband, Eric, had a son, my nephew, Jaden. They were living happily ever after until one morning in 2014. Londa and Jaden woke up and discovered that my brother-in-law, Eric, had tragically died in his sleep from a heart attack caused by a clogged artery. Fast forward to 2014, not even two years after her husband's death, my sister Londa received the same diagnosis as our mother, triple negative breast cancer. She had chemo, a lumpectomy, and radiation. Londa went back to work as a teacher, was doing great until the cancer returned and metastasized to her lungs. Londa did chemo again and participated in a clinical trial at the Moffitt Center in Tampa. The cancer was more aggressive this time, and to make matters worse, during a procedure to drain built-up fluid, a technician punctured her left lung and it never got back to full capacity. From that point, it just seemed like a downward spiral. Yet despite everything, my sister Londa was fighting with every healthy cell in her body to be here on earth for her son, Jaden. During one of her doctor's appointments, her blood levels and test results were not good. So she was immediately admitted to the hospital. You know, we went in for one of her appointments and they did all the blood work and her blood levels and all those, the tests weren't good. So they immediately admitted her. And I remember I called um, her oncologist out of the room so she, Londa couldn't hear me. And I said, you know, Dr. Shaw, what are we looking at here? I said, I have not asked this question because my sister, the way she lives her life, we haven't had those sort of conversations. And she said, you know, if we can get her body strong enough, we can get her on another chemo. She's like, I believe that she probably has nine months to a year. That was in April of 2016. May 19th of 2016, not even a month later, my sister passed. You and I, we used to talk when you were driving back and forth, and I never knew what to say, but I knew I had to do my best as your friend and sister to carry you as much as I could. And I remember you called and you said, I don't think we're going to win this fight. And we both sat quietly on the phone and cried and talked about a higher victory because we knew that God would take it from here. But I also knew and I could hear in your voice that this meant a completely different chapter for you. And it meant that you were going to be raising Jay. And while I knew that you would do a wonderful job and and you've proven me right, I also knew 
that this was a completely different chapter for you. So one of my questions is this. You buried both your mother and your sister, your closest family members, the people that helped to shape your identity. Can you share one thing about Yolanda in particular that captured her enduring spirit? She was so much fun. She loved to dance. She was a comedian. And she lived life to the fullest. She was a shopper. Oh, my God. You see my closet of clothes <laughs> and shoes. Yes. I think she had me beat. But she was just an amazing, amazing spirit. Even in death, our loved ones leave us these everlasting gifts. And so what do you carry? What lessons do you carry from your mom and sister, the things that you hold on to most? Both my mother and my sister had that that fight in them. That's what gets me through each day. And that was my mother and my sister. Even up until both of their last breaths, my mother, just to give you an example, my mother, my sister and I were in the hospital room at Orlando Regional Memorial Center is what it was called then now. It's, it's now affiliated with the University of Florida. We were asleep on a cot and I remember the nurse waking both of us up to let us know that she had expired, as, as they say. But prior to that happening, like a day or two before, my mother was still being mama. And she told Londa and I, she was like, go to Bernine's. I want you to pick out a beautiful pink suit. I want a pink casket. I mean, she was, and it really honestly didn't even hit us until uh, after the fact, because we were just doing what she told us to do. She had exactly what she told us. And then Londa, you know, there was this one night we were all at the hospice facility, you know, my my cousins, you know, my close friends. We spent, the, we were there in that room. And, and again, when you're in it, it's surreal, but you're, you're still, for me, it was like, it still wasn't, it was almost like I didn't really think about what I was doing. It was just like this sort we're just of doing autopilot. It. So my sister was being a comedian, you know, we would go, we had our, our team of people, like our neighbors, you know, Dave, this amazing woman, Daisy, one of our neighbors, and Lisa, they took turns like making sure, and Miss Marcia, like picking Jaden up from school. So this one particular day, Jay, you know, he came and Jay loves to eat candy. Jay still loves to eat candy. And Londa was in the bed, the hospice bed, and she could hear the paper rattling and she was like, Jay, stop eating all that candy. You know, she was still, <laughs> you know, fussing at him being mom. I actually, held her hands and whispered in her ear as she took her last breath. And I said to her, I said, Wanda, 
go rest. I got Jay. I'm going to take good care of him. Go rest. And she took her last breath and closed her eyes. What five words, what three words, what words did your sister say over and over that you find yourself saying when you need to hold on or your mantra? We got this and crazy faith. We got this. You know, if you talk to just about any cancer survivor, they can tell you the moment and the mood and the scene and everything about when they received their diagnosis. Can you share with us your moment? Londa passed. A week later, I gave her a homegoing service fit for the queen that she was, replete with a butterfly release and a beautiful white horse-drawn carriage of her casket. My sister was laid to rest in Woodlawn Cemetery next to her beloved husband and Jaden's dad, Eric. So now, my nephew Jaden had lost both of his parents. Lala, as Jaden calls me, the aunt that spoiled him since the day he was born became his guardian and became his Lala in a totally different way. I became La Mama and Auntie Mama, and I affectionately call him my nephew. I move a then 11-year-old Jay from Orlando to Miami. As one might imagine, he wasn't too thrilled about uprooting and leaving his friends in the only place he'd ever lived. The one saving grace was the fact that he was a sixth grader transitioning into middle school and would have been going to a new school in Orlando as well. We get acclimated to being Lala and Jay, a.k.a. Jay Boogie, a nickname given to him by one of his mentors, my friend and brother, Coach Donnell Turner, a.k.a. Coach D. I typically have always had my mammograms at the Midtown Women's Center in October. But because of everything that I've been going through and just had gone through at that point, I should say, my appointment was in November. I go have this appointment and I've always had dense breast tissue. So never really got too alarmed because, okay, you got dense breast tissue. So they always wanted to do tests just to, you know, take the extra precautions. But as you can imagine, because of everything I'd gone through, I was a little more anxious. So, you know, I'm sitting, you know, in the pink locker room, in the robe, and my breasts at the time were a little smaller than they are now. (laughs) (laughs) So that machine hurts because, you know, they got to squeeze. So they do the test, and Dr. Carrie Hort says... Well, let's back up. Before that, I saw, again, I'm watching the technicians trying to look at their face to see, like, are they seeing something? And so they are out of the room. And I, and in my mind, I'm like, oh, Lord, please, no. And they're just like, you know what? We, we want to do another, I forget the test. Chemo brain is real, people. But they do the other test. And then Dr. Carrie Hort says, you know, we see something 
that's like a cyst. And she's like, I'm sure it's nothing, but we just want to make sure. She's like, I can let you go home and we can just watch it and see what it looks like in you know, maybe another week or so, a couple weeks. Or we can Bob see it today. I have a slot. I can do it today. Of course, I was like, today. So I remember saying, okay, I'm going to go have lunch, but I couldn't even go have lunch. I think it was like, it might have been like a two hour window before the actual Bob. See, I remember sitting in my car and I just started meditating and listening to my gospel music. And I go have the the biopsy and I'm laying there on the table and you, you know, you see their face and as they're doing the actual uh, biopsy and I had to wait, I think like over a weekend and it was like the week before Thanksgiving, the week of Thanksgiving. It was the weekend before Thanksgiving. Yes. That's what you remember. Yep. Cause I remember I'm like, gosh, I got to wait over the weekend. I was actually on the MacArthur Causeway when I got that call. And I remember seeing the number and I'm like, okay, what is her voice going to be? It's almost like I didn't want to answer the phone. And I heard it in her voice. My oncology team is just amazing. They, they all said, you know what? We were going to treat you like our sister because they all knew what I had just gone through. And so from that point, um, Coach LaTanya, I had to start running a different race. And I started running the race for my life. At the time, as you've already noted, you were already trying to make Londa's son whole, trying to introduce him to a new place. And often that meant putting your own grief aside. You were also now facing this cancer diagnosis, and also you're facing the concept of mortality and what this loss could mean. But I think one of the things you said to me in in one of our early conversations was that all of that was horrific and it was awful, but at the front of your mind was still, Jay, what about Jay? And, you know, Jay had been through this terrible, you know, with you, but through this terrible journey, had lost his parents, and you were still most concerned about how do I make sure that he feels loved, that he is in a home that is full of love and full of light, and how do we do this together? And this feels like maybe the right time to introduce Jay, Jay Boogie, And maybe, Jay, you can share with us a little bit about that next chapter, which was very difficult, having just, as as I said, just buried your mom. Well, hi, I'm Jaden Latanya, or Lala's nephew, and um, Yolanda's son. And, well, if we're starting from, let's say, back when my mom first passed in May and going on until now, the whole moving thing, I wasn't really, like Lala said, I wasn't really happy with that. I mean, at the time, I was kind of naive and childish about it, so I didn't really understand how much she was sacrificing for me. But I, I realize that now. But back then, I was kind of, you know, stubborn about it. But over time, I got used to it, and I'm happy where I'm at now. How do you cope? How do you heal? Well, for the most part, I... 
I would say that I'm not that emotional about the whole situation, but there are times where it's just, it's more of waves of pure anger instead of just sadness or me feeling depressed in a way, you know, depressed isn't like, let's say for weeks on end, I feel like not doing anything or not being productive in any way. It's, it's nothing like that. It's just, I'll get angry but I'll also keep that in because I know that if I let that out, that that wouldn't be helpful or beneficial to anyone, especially not myself. It'd just be self-destructive. But there there are times where I experience it, experience the whole situation with my parents and Lala. For example, we have the the wedding CD of when my parents got married and seeing them happy, me as a baby, because I was able to be there on video with them seeing me hop out the limo and I was like two feet tall um, to see all the people in my life that have been there for me you know my grandmas um, aunts aunties you know cousins it was just stuff like that is where I can look back and I might get sad and angry about it but I'm just glad that I was able to experience them for the time that I had them what is your fondest memory of your parents? My fondest memory. Well, I feel that it was it was really just the small things that we used to do. For example, we'd go to this place called Rita's, um, which is a frozen ice place in Orlando, or Tijuana Flats, or um, what me and my dad used to do every week back in elementary when I um, used to behave the whole week and get green. In my agenda, <laughs> even sometimes when I get yellow, <laughs> at the end of the week, we'd go to Green Firehouse was good, Hubs. right? Yes, it, it was. <laughs> but we used to go to this place called Firehouse Subs, which is kind of like a subway, but with a firefighter theme twist on it. And we used to go there and get a smokehouse brisket with cheddar cheese, no mayo, a pickle on the side. And then we'd go to Rita's and get a coconut cream, which is our favorite flavor there. And we used to just have a lot of fun with the small things that we used to do. So Latanya, Lala, shares with you that she too is now facing cancer. And this is months after you've buried your mom. Do you remember that conversation? I partially do. I I think we, we were in Orlando. That was around Thanksgiving. And I remember I was upstairs. I was playing some video game that I had just gotten. And Lala had brought me downstairs to talk to me. And she just seemed really serious and nervous. And it, it kind of threw me off because, I, I, I mean, at the time, I didn't really expect what she was going to tell me. But I just had a feeling that it was bad. I remember when she did tell me and everything, I just had this feeling of how unfair everything felt for her and for me because, you know, here she was having to take care of me and deal with her sister passing, her mom passing, my, my dad passing, her brother-in-law passing, and then having to get diagnosed on top of that while still trying to figure out her stuff was just really unfair. Yeah, it was actually after the Christmas because I didn't want to oh, yeah. to have an amazing Christmas. Yeah. 
Thank you, Jay. Let's talk a little bit about the actual diagnosis as we sort of go down this journey. Triple negative? Yes. So walk us through um, the diagnosis as well as what your particular treatment was. Um, sometimes I just can't even believe my story. So my oncologist is Dr. Sarah Garrido. My amazing surgeon was... Dr. Manny Manuel Felique Torres, and I say was because stop up your ears, listeners. Fuck cancer. He was amazing. My super talented, loving, and humble rock star surgical oncologist, Dr. Manuel Torres Felique, who saved my and hundreds of others' lives was taken from us far too soon by an aggressive form of cancer on June 17, 2019. We'll be right back. I'm a breast cancer survivor, and I'm grateful. Not only because I'm a survivor, but because my oncologist gave me a gift, the gift of information. As it turns out, I had a unique type of breast cancer that could only be identified by taking a closer look at my cancer biology. When I was first diagnosed, the standard test said that I had HER2 positive breast cancer. However, my doctor dug deeper and through genomic profiling, she discovered that my HER2 positive breast cancer was actually triple negative breast cancer. This meant I would need a whole different type of therapy than originally planned in order to successfully treat my cancer. I am so grateful that my doctor made sure to look at everything before moving forward. I believe every woman with breast cancer should have the same chance I had, an opportunity to formulate a truly personalized treatment plan with her doctor based on comprehensive genomic profiling that includes molecular subtyping. Here's my story. When I was first diagnosed with breast cancer, I had just lost my sister to the horrible disease. I experienced the roller coaster of emotions sorting through the medical details in new, unfamiliar terms. Genomic testing was one of those terms, but my oncologist broke it down for me and told me that she would use tests called MammaPrint and Blueprint to classify my tumor as low risk or high risk in either luminal A, luminal B, HER2, or basal subtype. These are the specific classifications of breast cancer that would help my oncologist better understand what was driving my tumor and how to plan my treatment. It turns out my breast cancer type was triple negative and not HER2 positive as originally determined by clinical testing. And this changed our entire care plan. Once my oncologist understood my individual tumor biology, she was able to use the information to create a personalized treatment plan for me. Navigating cancer is hard enough. Your treatment decisions shouldn't be. For more information, visit www.agendia.com. That's www.agendia.com. 
I remember us talking about what your options were, and you were very clear about having the double mastectomy. What was your thought process? My first thought was, Jaden, I have to be here for Jaden. If it means I got to be flat, I need to make sure that I eliminate the cancerous cells. But Dr. Manny, the amazing surgeon that he was, he was already on that page. He's like, you know, because of your history, I definitely would recommend that you have a bilateral. It wasn't a hard decision for me because I had already made that decision. Okay, so you did, you had that procedure and then you also had chemo. Yes. I had six rounds of doxorubicin adriamycin chemo, also known as the infamous red devil. A couple days after chemo infusion, I'd receive a new Lasta shot to boost my white blood cells. A month after my last round of the red devil, I threw an epic no more chemo party on South Beach and had my breast reconstruction with mentor implants a month later, right before the hurricane. Once my revision surgery was complete, I was anxious to spread my advocacy wings. I want our listeners to know so much more about your amazing journey. There's a point where it felt like you were in a plane 30,000 feet above, but you could see your own life. And you talked to your friends, your circle, your sisters, your friend's sisters, and you said, I want to do something more. And I don't think any of us knew what more was at the time. And I'm not even sure you knew, but you knew that you had a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. Talk to me about how you decided to do this podcast and how your own journey shaped that decision. I got hooked on cereal. Then NPR came out with a show called How I Built This, hosted by Guy Ross. And that podcast, honestly, it played a role in the trajectory of what I would do next in my life. Because just like I sit here and I look at you and I can say how much I love you as my friend, my family, my mentor, my big sister, my caregiver, I could also say that to the entire NPR team and especially Guy Ross. I'm blessed to say that I actually was selected as an NPR fellow for the inaugural How I Built This Summit a couple years ago. I told Guy, you know, how he helped me get through my breast cancer diagnosis after losing my sister six months prior. The show basically profiles entrepreneurs who bootstrapped their businesses. And so at night, when I didn't want to call you, or I didn't want to call Iris, or I didn't want to call Sarah or Parisi or the rest of my Sarahs and allow them to hear me crying, worrying about my cancer, if it was going to come back, or just everything that came with the diagnosis and raising Jay, I discovered how I built this. I lost myself in the podcast, and it was like, Oh my goodness. In the process of doing that at night and then sitting in my chair once, one time during chemo, 
I was, you know, of course I lost my taste buds. Couldn't everything taste nasty. Nasty as hell. And I would Google like, okay, other survivors, do they have any suggestions or recommendations? And of course I discovered this, this, I can't remember the name of it, this, this little... Miracle fruit. Thank you, Jay. <laughs> See how we're a team? I discovered this miracle fruit that you're supposed to, you know, rub around on your, roll around on your tongue and it will help, you know, the food taste normal. So there's a farm here in Miami and I went and got it and it actually worked and one food that item that I could actually taste was bananas. But in the process of like looking for survivors who may have had some solutions, I discovered survivors who actually had started businesses as a result of their diagnosis. And I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. And one of the first women that I um, discovered was this, this survivor sister of mine who um, was doing this air guitar. Then I discovered a woman named Dana Donafrey who had just, you know, had created a, a bra company for women who had had mastectomies had gone flat. And as I started doing it, I'm like, wait a minute. Are there enough of them to do a podcast? Because I knew that, okay, if I'm going to do this, I have to do it in a way that I can handle it emotionally because it's heavy. And there are days when I don't want to talk about breast cancer. But I said, you know, if I can do this in a lifestyle sort of way where I can incorporate all the things that I love, food, fashion, just all of those things in a way that would be compelling and aspirational, maybe I have something. And that's when I said, you know what? I could actually do the a how I built this meets breast cancer. And that's when I landed on, wow, that's what it's going to be. Because prior to that, I had taken a podcast course at NYU. I had done all these online courses. And once I realized that, wow, this can be a business, the next step was coming up with a name, came up with a name, called my trademark attorney. Well, before I called the trademark attorney, I dot-commed it. And um, here we are, having the breast talk ever. (laughs) That's excellent. That was part one of my story. You can follow the breast talk ever on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at the breast talk ever. Take a listen next week to hear part two of my story. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you enjoyed the breast talk ever, don't forget to rate our show and write a review. It will help others discover the podcast to receive a dose of inspiration. Our show is produced by me, Latanya Davis, audio engineering by Eric Begay, a Podfly Productions. Our theme song and music scoring is by Jean Paul Gaiol. Bass guitar on theme song by my nephew Jaden Holmes. I'm Latanya Davis, and you have just listened to the breast talk.
This sounds more like a theme song, so if I did something like, like a, uh, an outro. Yeah. 